0: Thank you, Miss Judy. Open your Bibles, if you'd be please, to the book of 1 John. 1 John in the New Testament, over back toward the book of Revelation. 1 John chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 4, 1 John. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God, if you're able to do so. Thank you, Miss Judy, for that good song. I want to talk today, the Lord willing, if I can be able to have the strength to do so and the vocabulary to to deliver the message on Christian living. What really is a Christian life? I'm going to give you three thoughts. I won't preach all of them this morning, but maybe finish it tonight. Three thoughts of what Christian living is all about. I think we've missed the boat in a lot of things over the years. I think we've got a lot of rituals and routines that have sapped us. And I'm sorry for that in our own life as Christians. There ought to be a desire to live for God, a desire to please God. And most of us know that Christian is a takeoff of Christ living in us. Christ, they called them Christians first to Antioch because they were acting, living like Jesus Christ. Here's what John said, the great apostle. He's called the beloved disciple and one that wrote the book of First John, Second John, Third John. He penned the book of St. John and also the book of Revelation and saw the coming of the end of the world and the coming of the Lord Jesus as King of kings. In chapter 1, verse 4, And these things write we unto you, that's us, that your joy may be full. Mark that verse of Scripture if you would please. Move to chapter 2, and verse 1 where the reading of the Word of God gives us a continuation of what is a Christian life. Verse 2, well, let us read chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. In chapter 1 it says that your joy may be full. In chapter 2 it says that you sin not. If any man sin, we have an act with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Then in chapter 5 of the book of First John, verse 13, you'll find a word that pops up probably 37 times in the book of First John alone. There was five chapters, and that word is the word know. Chapter 5, verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Father, I pray for the divine unction of the Holy Spirit of Holy God. I go back in my mind those early days, Lord, when you called me to preach as a young 18-year-old boy, back in Louisiana, Kentucky, getting things right with God. I'm thankful, Father, for your faithfulness over these years. And Lord, through trial or valley or mountaintop, you've been faithful. And Lord, many times we let you down, as many of us would echo the truth. And yet the Bible gives us how we're supposed to live the Christian life and to be able to enjoy the trip from here to heaven. And I pray, God, you'll anoint us afresh from the very halters of God. I need the unction of the Holy Spirit. I may not be able to define what that is, but I know what it's not. I need your power today to move upon my own heart, on my life, on my soul, and on my very tongue, that I'll be able to rightly divide the word of truth and to give the message that you want me to preach this morning. Love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the privilege to represent you for just a few minutes. In his name we pray. Amen. Be seated. The message today is a vital message, especially for our generation. I do not know how much longer, and Brother Brandon talked about it in Sunday School this morning, before the Lord Jesus comes back again. But I stand on the authority of the Word of God. On this first Sunday in January, He is coming back. It's the glorious hope with the soon appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus called it the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm grateful that God's got His Word for us to follow, and that's the truth. We need to return to simple obedience. The Bible says obedience is better than sacrifice. And sometimes we sacrifice a little here, sacrifice a little there. But he said what you need to have and what I need to have is to be obedient to the Lord. Obedience is better than sacrifice. And along with that obedience comes a sort of draw a little hyphen down beside the word obedience. And put next to that, put the word holiness. Holiness. The Bible tells us that we are to live in obedience to the Lord. To obey is proper he says if you love me keep my commandments obey me if you love me when you read the book of first john you will find it over and over again do you know the lord or better still does he know you several references are made to how to have the assurance of your salvation pinned to us in the book of first john as well as other scriptures in the bible but especially in this little epistle called first john so often we find that things are moving rapidly in the wrong direction in our economy uh, in our political arena, and uh, all the things that is transpiring across the, the, the United States of America and the world here 's what the Bible says in First Peter chapter three, verse ten through twelve. For he that will love life and see good days, you want to love life. Talk about the Christian life now. for he that will love life and see good days, you want to have good days. let him refrain his tongue from evil, because out of the heart the mouth speaketh, refrain thy tongue from evil. And his lips that speak no guile. Let him eschew evil. That means to hate evil. And to do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. And the ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them to do evil. This emphasis tonight, today on the Christian living is so important in our Christian life. The sin of unbelievers grieves God. But even the sins among believers causes God to turn his face away from us. You'll have difficulty having your prayers answered, and so will I, if I live an unrighteous life. The Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. I think one of the saddest vocabularies and the saddest commentaries can ever be uttered from the lips of human beings is that I prayed and God didn't hear me. He said, call unto me and I will answer thee, yeah. Jeremiah 33. 3. He teaches over and over again, you have faith, trust God, call upon me and I will answer your prayer. The Christian life is filled with a, con- a conversation between the sinner and the, and the God of heaven that we should be able to be what we ought to be for his cause and for, for his honor and glory. And the church is almost shallow today and superficial. It goes through the motions and we go through what we call church and uh, sometimes we call it playing church. We go through the, We know what to do next, you know what's coming next in about thirty, 35 minutes unless God does otherwise we'll have an amen and go to the house after the invitation. It may go forty minutes, it may go until my knees fail and I just sat down and I'll just quit preaching. But God knows sometimes in our lives that we go through the, uh, the movements and the motions of church I know how to do it. when I was a kid raised in West Virginia. My dad was a preacher. My mother, of course, stayed at home. Mom had five kids. And we did a lot of play in church. I usually was the preacher. I played the preacher part. My sister, she, she played the center part because she was the only sister we had. And if anybody deserved to be the center, it ought to be my sister. And so I had my brothers. One of them took the offering. He would come up, take the offering. And uh, others would give prayer requests and so forth. And we had a little place there at the church, at the house, where we played church. And I'm glad my sister come to the altar over and over again. And we preached on the wrath of God and damnation of hell. And if you don't get right with God, you're going to burn forever. And there's my sister waiting for the invitation to come. Because she knew her cue was to come to the altar and repent. Now, I'm not saying that's to make fun of God. I'm saying little children will learn how to play church. That ought not to be. It ought to be the Spirit of God moves on us and directs us and motivates us and causes us to have what we ought to have by the good grace of God. And the Bible says in Psalm 7 and verse 11. If you'll turn there, please just read a verse or two before I get through the introduction. Every, if God judges the righteous, let me get back. God judges the righteous. Psalm 7 verse 11, and God is angry with the wicked every day. Boy, that's a powerful thought. That God is God is against the wicked every day, as far as what they do, and He gets angry. There's times when God shows His anger. Sometimes God puts up with it as long as he can and just turns somebody over to a reprobate mind. But the Bible says that God judges the righteous. That's you and me. He judges us. It doesn't mean for salvation. It means our righteous living, our Christian life. He judges our Christian life. And when we stand before God someday, we'll give an account for our life and determine the rewards in heaven that we may have that God wants to give to us on that glorious day. These are difficult days we live in. It's been echoed over and over again. Probably the most difficult days are ahead for Christianity. We've come through the gravy train. And I'll talk about that in just a moment. The Bible says that men love pleasure more than love, love, love God. And how true that is. They'd rather have the pleasures of life than the things of God. And they may not say that with their lips, but their actions speak volumes. Out of the heart the mouth speaketh, But our actions betray so often what we are and who we are. And these difficult days, we mind earthly things or we mind heavenly things. In the book of Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the Holy Scriptures say these words. Verse 1 of chapter 3 of Colossians. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall uh, appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, or put to death, therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil conspicuities, and I can't get that word out today, it's bad, and evilness, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things that will take the wrath of God cometh on the children disobedience. Now where those words come from a broken tongue today and not be able to make them clear clear in, in my presentation. If you read it along with me, you know what the Bible says about the earthly things and the heavenly things. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to us. Matthew 6.33. 2 Timothy 4.11 talks about how Demas, Paul said, has forsaken us for this present world. What's that mean? I mean, he was, a, he was a disciple of the Apostle Paul. He was helped to organize churches in Asia and Asia Minor and a great man of God being used of God. But all of a sudden it says, And Demas hath forsaken us. And Demas hath forsaken me. Demas hath forsaken God and turned back to the world and turned back to things of life. And how sad a commentary that is. There's the heavenly things that we ought to seek for. Set your affections on things above. Those which have been de- de- delivered by God from heaven through His holy word. And how important it is that we realize that God has His heavenly kingdom. I know we live on earth. And I know we live and walk on earth. I realize that. But I also realize that our affection is supposed to be in heaven. Set your affections on things above. Well, what's that mean? I'm supposed to put my affections on God. To love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, all thy soul, all thy strength. And he said, the first commandment is to love the Lord thy God. The second commandment is likened unto that, is to love thy neighbor as thyself. He said, I want you to set your affections on things above. I want you to see there is an end to all this. I want you to live in light of eternity. Do all you can while you're down here for me. But keep in mind, we're going to the next world one of these days. And heaven just around the corner, as we said a while ago. And Miss Judy sung about so beautifully a few moments ago. Immorality and indecency is everywhere. The Bible says that men love pleasure more than lovers of God. It also says that the love of money is the root of all evil. I went to my Bible and reading that again in 1 Timothy chapter 6, and verse 10. He says, the love of money is the root of all evil. Now you circle that. It is the root and it is all evil comes from the love of money, if I understand it correctly. So that's materialism. We've been blessed mightily in our country. Nothing wrong with the blessings of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift cometh down from God above in whom there's no verbose, verbose or n- n- there's no change. And I'm grateful to God for that. But the fact is, materialism has almost ruined us in America. We've been blessed. You know, our old, our older folks are our moms and dads, grandparents, so forth. I'm 77 years of age, and uh, my grandmothers and granddaddies lived to be in their 80s, most of them on both sides of the family. Uh, my daddy's family was... Uh, 15 kids and mother's was 12. I've talked about it several times. And uh, daddy's name, daddy's father's name was James and he had a wife, her name was Martha. Uh, You say, well, big deal. They named them after Bible characters so often. So on my daddy's side, it's James and Martha. That's my grandparents. I'm named after my granddaddy. On my mother's side, my Grandfather is named C.S. Riggs. Or what C.S. stand for? Charles Spurgeon. His name was Charles Spurgeon Riggs. And so on my mother's side, with 12 kids, they grew up with a father who was named after one of the greatest preachers that's ever graced this world outside the Apostle Paul, is probably Charles Spurgeon. And on my father's side, they grew up with Bible preaching, Bible teaching, going to the house of God, having prayer around the altar, and spending time with God regularly and desiring to please the Lord. They didn't have a lot of materialistic things, even though they survived and they met their needs. They lived through the Depression. Somebody said, how in the world did your grandparents make it through the Depression? 1929, 30 through there. Well, the answer is there is a God. I mean, God's not, not controlled by depression or recession or impression. He's controlled by His own will and what He desires to do. And the same God that made man from the dust of the earth and breathed in His nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul is the same God that knows your name, knows your address, knows all about you. Now, if we lost it all today, what would we do? Would we fall into depression? Would it be like they were during the depression of the yesterday year of the 30s where multimillionaires jumped out of windows? where more suicides were done in just a few matter of hours when the Great Depression came, and the world became almost in turmoil because of the depression and and had to stand in line to get food, and you had to uh, take government handouts to be able to survive. Things changed mightily, and the rich became poor. Riches have a way of taking the wings of the morning. They fly away. And one reason why sometimes we're so wrapped up in this world is because that's where our heart's at. I mean by that, we love pleasure more than we love God. That's what the Bible said. Paul said one of the signs of the last days, men shall be lovers of their own self more than lovers of God. He also said that uh, Paul said to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. And he starts declaring the fact that many folks get wrapped up in this materialistic world. There's more immorality and indecency than I've ever seen. I was reading a book last night about a man who he got tired of looking at the racks uh, when the the grocery store. It's a famous grocery store up in Virginia or Tennessee somewhere. He said every time he got in line, they had all these magazines. Uh, Cosmopolitan, he said, inquiring, minds want to know, and so forth. And he said most of the articles were filled with sexual innuendos or something indecent. And he said when you checked out of the store, you had to go right by those particular magazines or papers. And finally, he got tired of it. He and his wife both began to protest and wrote to the CEO of the company. And he expressed their concern because their children were seeing the same thing they were seeing. And it's not right. By the way, it's not right to have to see filth every time you turn around. Everywhere you go, you see filth and dirt and immorality staring you in the face. It makes a real challenge to live the Christian life. And what goes in the mind you know, it affects the heart. It goes in your eyes and goes in your ears. And so uh, they went on a campaign. And he said what was difficult in, in the book it was difficult just getting churches together to protest it. Well, we don't want to cause a ripple. We don't want to cause a problem. And he was talking about it's time to get out of the boat and realize that sin's running over us, over every one of us day after day after day, and nobody seems to take a stand. We sit back and say, well, things will get better. I'll tell you how they're going to get better. With some old-fashioned, fundamental, Bible-living preaching, we'll rear back and say, this is what God says, and believe what God says, live what God says, and let God work in our lives. It changes. But So often we let the world dictate our, our moods and our swings and our lifestyle, and we find ourselves so wrapped up in living that we can't enjoy life. We get so worried and depressed about things of life in materialistic ways. What if you lost it all? Well, if you lost it all, how, what, how, would you resp- how would I respond to that? I mean, I, I live in a nice house. We've got a nice car. you got food on the table. Uh, we had breakfast this morning. We'll have lunch after a while, if my wife does what she's supposed to do. And we'll have a meeting meal after a while. Wendy, one of the meals, if it's not down here, it's usually McDonald's or something like that. Great, great restaurants in our town. Uh, McDonald's. How many goes to McDonald's? How many goes to Wendy's? How many goes to Burger King? Let me tell you what the doctor said about Burger King. The doctor told me about Burger King. I said, he said, you could be careful about your diet. And I said, okay. I said, he said, do you eat fast food? I said, well, I love Burger King. Uh, whopper with cheese, what you call them, if you're not familiar with the lingo, the lingo. So you eat whopper with cheese. I said, that's right. He said, how many do you eat? I said, well, two or three times a week. He said, doctor prescription. You can have one a week and one a week only. I changed doctors. <laughs> I mean, you know, after a while I'm trying to tell you, you can't eat a waffle with cheese, I love it. But if he was right and I was wrong and i tried not to eat a whole lot of fast food uh, food uh, because it's probably not good for me either and good for you either. But the fact is that sometimes if we realize that every meal we have comes from the bountiful hand of God, every good gift cometh down from above. And God's been mindful of us. But sometimes the Lord goes into the world and you see depression. You see it all over the world. You see folks who are standing in line begging for food. You say, that will never happen to me. It never happened to us. Oh, don't limit what God may let let come to us. If you turn away from Him after a while, He's still loving. He's still caring. He still wants you. But He can turn the spigot off. Yeah. And sometimes when He turns the spigot off, it can get mighty rough in our lives. And we realize, well, what happened? Well, First of all, what are you doing for God? What am I doing for God? Am I living the Christian life? Or am I finding myself where uh, I'm like the world trying to change the name of sin? You know, you just used to talk about a drunkard in the Bible. And somebody says, well, he's got a disease. It's called alcohol. Alcoholism. Alcoholism is not a disease. If it is, it's the only disease you can take by putting it in your mouth and drinking down whiskey. It's not a disease. The Bible calls drunkenness a sin. And woe is the man who looks up with pleasure and looks at wine with pleasure. So we changed the name of it, no longer called a man a drunk. He's not a drunkard, he's just an alcoholic. Thank God God can save alcoholics. And right in this room today are some men and some women who used to be alcoholics who God changed miraculously, not by some ten steps, but by the wonderful power of Almighty God that's able to come down and set somebody free from the bondage of sin. I'm glad there's a God in heaven who still has the power to transform and change people's lives. And yet sometimes we say, well, we don't want to be too hard on them. God's hard on them. It's not my place to decide what's hard and what's easy. My place is to preach the Word of God. And you say, I don't like your preaching. God don't like the way we're living either. And Billy Sunday said, the old evangelist, they said, you keep uh, rubbing the fur the wrong way. He said, what you need to do is turn the cat around. And maybe that's what needs to be done in our lives and realize that. So we come down to, uh, you know, immorality. It's called alternate lifestyle today. It's not fornication. The Bible uses it several times in my reading today. Being a fornicator and adulterer, we call it alternate lifestyle where we're going to be uh, homosexuality and we're going to be transgender and the list goes on and on. Find it in the Word of God. When I said to open up this sermon, obey is more important than sacrifice, obedience. Most of us in this room probably be opposed to sin on anybody, but including our own lives. I'm not on bandwagon trying to just preach against drunkards and immorality. All of us face things in our life that displeases God. It's better to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. And the Bible says God gets angry with sin. Why would God get angry with sin? He loves us. He gets angry with sin because God sent His Son, wrapped Him in human flesh over two thousand years ago, and He walked down the Via Della Rosa, the street of Jerusalem, with a, with a cross on His back and with the pain in His body. But the greatest pain He had was the sins of the whole world and in His own life, when He drank the cup in the Garden of Iniquity, in the Garden of Gethsemane, and said, "Father, not my will, but Thine be done." And He took that cup, and so often I've looked in my imagination into that cup of iniquity, and it shakes. It stirs His, stirs his color. And Jesus looked at it. He never sinned one time in all of His life. In 33 and a half years, He never sinned one time. So says the Word of God. He was without sin. And He became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And He took that cup of iniquity and He took it to His lip. As it were symbolically, He took your sin. He took my sins. And on the cross of Calvary, your sins and my sins were nailed to the old rugged cross on a hill far away stood the old rugged cross. The emblem of suffering and shame. And the Lord Jesus Christ paid a price for every sin, whether it be what we call big sins, or little sins. Sin is sin. And so we can get on everybody else, but sometime in our own life, we do things that's not pleasing to God. But well, what's that got to do with the Christian life? The Christian life should be one full of gladness and joy. And you can't have gladness and joy when things are not well in your heart. It just won't happen. I mean, it, it's, it's like trying to mix oil and water. It's not going to go. It's not going to work. So you have immorality. You have indecency. You have crime. You have drunkenness. We've changed the label on sin. Uh, a liar is somebody with a lively imagination. Uh, if it's uh, somebody that's uh, guilty of some sin of cursing, they've just got an unsanctified mouth. They need some help. Uh, but out of the heart, the mouth speaketh. You say, Preacher, how, how come people cuss? Because they have a lack of vocabulary. Right. If you get some good words, you'll, you, you'll talk right. Amen. You say Christians ought to be able to cuss and get by with it because they're Christians. Christians ought to stay far away from it as they possibly can. Amen. And when they do cuss, they ought to say, Oh God, forgive me. Oh, yeah. Help me not do it again. Oh God, please forgive me. Cleanse me by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, a sinner, a Christian, may sin but they're not happy in their sin. You can't be glad in doing things that's wrong, unconfessed before God. Or you get the place you confess them before God, but you don't really mean it. You just sort of hope is forgiven by God. Some way God's going to overlook me and He's not going not to deal with me. First thing I've asked the Lord when I've been going through physical problems is, Lord, is there anything in my life that needs to be corrected? The chasing hand of God sometimes comes through physical, emotional, and mental strain. And sometimes God has a way of dealing with us trying to get our attention. Let God search your heart. Search me, O Lord. It's what David said. Search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me. He's not talking to an unsaved guy. He's talking to King David, the shepherd who wrote Psalms 23. And he says, I want you to learn a lesson. You can't have sin in your life and be happy in life. So when a Christian life is one that's full of gladness, and I want to read a couple of verses, then I'll, I'll climax in just a moment. The Christians should be glad, 1 John 1, 4. The Bible says, I write this book unto you. I write these words unto you that your joy may be full. I want you to be glad. He says, but I want you to sin not. Chapter 2. So I want you to be good. I want you to be glad. I write this epistle unto you that your joy may be full. But I also write this epistle unto you that you'll be good and not sin. He says, I would that you sin not. I'm going to go ask for a show of hands how many sin today. If if you did, the whole... Somebody's hand will go up immediately. We'll probably in some way an old mission or co mission today. If it's not one hand, some folks raise two hands. They've been so mean already this week. They fussed with their wife, and the wife, they in to fight and fumigate the cat, kicked the dog in the face, and slapped the cow. They got all messed up, got angry, and they just went out and did terrible things and that we wouldn't, wouldn't think would be good for a Christian to do. So, John, the beloved disciple, said, I want to send you a message. God says, I want you to be glad. If you don't think they were glad, you hadn't read the book of Acts. Well, preacher, there's a lot of persecution in the book of Acts when the Christians died and the first martyr came, Deacon Stephen. And there was many folks who were beaten and put in prison and, and uh, eventually executed and martyred, if you please, for the cause of Christ. But they, they were happy. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. Well, how in the world can you be happy and glad when everything's going bad? You've got the greatest joy maker in the world, and that's the Holy Ghost of God who lives in you. There is joy in the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Ghost lives in us, and He's not a it, He's a He. And the great Holy Ghost of God who tabernacles in our human bodies wants us to enjoy life. And the writings are full of joy and happiness and gladness. You say, but boy, I'm having a tough time. Well, everybody has a tough time. Everybody battles things in life, and everybody battles Satan, sin, and all the things that come with that. But in the midst of all of our trials, in the midst of all of our heartaches, keep short sin accounts, stay close to God, and find out what God has to say about being happy in the Christian life. You know, depression is bad. Most of us have gone through it some time or another. I think all of us probably will experience some of it degree. But the worst thing in the world is to stay depressed all the time, all the time. Because after all, well, you lose your purpose for living, you you give up on you give up on God, you give up on hope, and everything just seems to dissipate and disappear from your life. The early Christians, I give the observation, and then I'll give the obedience and I'll be through. Christians should be glad, first John one four. Here's the early Christians. Now let's read it together. Turn to the book of Acts. Let's do a little Bible survey right quickly. Won't take long to read these verses in the book of Acts, chapter two, verse forty six. And they, that's the disciples, continuing daily with one accord in the temple. They went to church every day. Breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Verse 47. Praising God and having faith with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Don't you think we ought to be glad that we're saved? When I get down to the talking about the, our names in the book of life, you talk about joy. Joy, And I may mention it two or three times. I mean, the disciples came back after they were sent out two by two. Seventy folks went out, the disciples, to witness for the Lord Jesus. When they come back, they were, excited. they were excited. They said, Lord Jesus, even the demons are subject to us. And they were sort of in a braggadocious mood, what God was doing. Thank God for God's power and what God did in people's love. But they said, that even the demons are subject to what our voice, what we say. Even the demons are subject to that. And Jesus said, don't rejoice that the demons are subject to you. Here it is. But rejoice because your name is in the Lamb's book of life or in heaven written down. He said it was more important. They enjoyed the ministry, even though they were persecuted. They also were persecuted more than probably most of us have ever been persecuted. And they did it with gladness. And once or sometimes they get beat up, they go back to the church family and they rejoice that they could suffer for Jesus Christ. I don't know anything about that kind of Christianity. I could take a survey again. How many of you have been slapped because you were a Christian? How many of you had somebody to beat you with a rod, of, a rod across the back because you were a Christian? How many of you have been blessed out, cursed out? Maybe a few of us along the way. But most of the persecution is so mild compared to what we read about in, in antiquity in the early days of the church. Chapter 2, verse 46 with Gladys, Acts 3.8. The Bible says, And he, leaping up, stood and walked. This is the lame man who stayed by the gate, beautiful, when the disciples came by. Let's go back and just read a few verses. And Peter, fastening his eyes, verse 4, upon him with John, said, Look on us. This man was begging for alms. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none. It's a good Baptist verse. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he, leaping up, stood and walked, and entered with them into the temple walking, and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking, and praising God. Here you, you see a man's been healed miraculously, and God can still heal. He may not do it like we read in the book of Acts as far as every day and everywhere we go. He gave the apostles certain gifts and uh, things, a, a, equipping them to help begin the local church, and they were very faithful in their duties, and, but God still heals. My sister I mentioned a while ago, Janet, uh, she calls me about once a week, or I called her about once a week, and uh, I appreciate her friendship as well as being my only sister. And, uh, but she had breast disease when she was a kid. My daddy being a preacher, and she got breast disease. And dad would come home and gather us around the altar to pray and pray for, pray for Janet. That was the only girl he had. She was the apple of his eye. We'd get the boys and mom around, we'd pray, and he'd ask God, Lord, would you touch my daughter? Would you touch my daughter? Lord, uh, try not to be selfish, but... Would you heal her body? He'd go back to the doctor's, back to the hospital and after that, after prayer, and as much as he could, he and mom. And the doctor said, Mr. Pauly, I don't see any hope. Unless there's a divine intervention, she's not going to make it. She's got a serious disease that's going to kill her. My dad was heartbroken. I prayed. Where was God? The same place he's always been. Same place he was when his son died on the throne of heaven. Dad got us back together to, at the parsonage of the church we was living in at that time. He said, let's pray. He said, dear Lord, I'm not going to pray for my daughter's healing. You gave her to us. If you want to take her, we'll be satisfied with that. We'd love for you to heal her body, but I'm not here, Lord, to beg for her body healing. I just want your will to be done. I don't know what your will is. I don't know what you want us to do, but Lord I give you myself. My dad broke down and cried like a baby. God, take my daughter if you want to. But if not, would you heal her? Next morning, the doctors offered the hospital visitation. And they uh, walked in and the doctor said, Let me take some more x-rays, more some more tests right quickly, see how she's doing. They went behind closed doors. For a few minutes they came back out and said, Mr. Polly, I can't explain this. I said, uh, your daughter Janet, she, she don't have breath to see. Yes, amen. amen. Said you could take her home. Now you talk about a dad probably who shouted a little bit and praise God and mama probably had one of them Pentecostal Baptist fists. But dad said what it was, they got the place where he didn't pray selfishly. I've been there praying selfishly. I, I could give you prayer to prayer that I prayed selfishly. That I wanted for my own reason. That I thought it would be good for me. But when you come to the place, Lord, not what I want, what you want. And Dad, when he prayed that prayer that night at the home with us, the Lord, she's in your hands. I would love for you to heal her, but God, if not, take my, take my daughter. Give us grace to face that. Because they say there's no hope. But as long as there is breath in the human body, there's hope. And God can heal anybody any time He wants to. He doesn't heal everybody because other, somebody said, well, why don't He heal people all the time? you would never done. Nobody die if healed everybody. The process of death ain't too bad for a Christian. Amen. I mean, if you're unsaved, I don't want to go that route. But to be glad in Jesus Christ that He can do miraculous things. In the book of Acts is full of healings. Miraculous things that happened in the early days of the church. Acts chapter... Eight and verse or chapter five, verse forty-one. Verse forty-one, chapter five, and they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for His name. Somebody cuss us out because we witness to Him. We get all puffed up and say, we well, we'll die and go to hell then." That's not the attitude. Our attitude be somebody mistreats us and mocks us and even as it were in that day, put us in jail or beat them up for a while, they come back rejoicing. I, I don't know that, where that's at. I, uh, have we seen that in our generation? Maybe some places around the world, but have you seen it in your town? Have I seen it in our town? Where folks are rejoicing and suffering. We are called to suffer with the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, take up your cross and follow me daily. Right. A cross. A cross is not something that you enjoy Unless you say, Lord, I will endure it for you. And that burden becomes a blessing. And that cross becomes victory life in your life. Because you were willing to submit to God. And God will help us bear our crosses. There's nothing God can't do, nothing God will not do, if it so pleases His will. I'm at the disposal of God. Whatever God wants in my life, I trust He'll do what's pleasing to Him. I've been praying for two years. Almost, almost two years now, since I said. Blood clots problems. I prayed, I prayed every prayer you can imagine. And I'm going to tell you this, if God wants to kill me today, He's got my life, let him take me. If I go get two more MRIs and they say, Preacher, you're going to make it long, I'll say, well, just pray for me because I'm getting ready to make the greatest transition in all, the, all this world. Brother Tommy, who got a liver transplant that day, when the doctors gathered around him before he went in, when he was having had a word of prayer, I think Fred was there and before I got there and I finally got there. And Tommy said to the doctors, said, now it's in your hands and we're we'll trusting God. And talks, if you see anybody flying around above me, don't bother. Them said, an angels coming. And they may be coming to take me home. So don't worry about it if you see angels flirting around. Well, here it's been all these years now. We use the illustration regularly. It's been all these years since Tommy said, I'm ready to go if God wants me to go. But God healed him. God suffered and had a liver transplant. And he got a good liver to this point in time. I know he's has trouble with it. He says you may live a few more years with the liver. How many years Tommy again? How many years you've been living since the liver transplant? Said so two thousand nine. I see I'll be this year fifteen years. Fifteen years. Don't don't tell the doctors. You're not gonna make it very you probably lived a couple years the most. Tommy's stubborn, but he's not that stubborn. He just gave it to God, and God has saved his life for these many years. So you say, why would you point him out? Because there is a testimony in our own church where he needed a liver, and we got on our face and prayed, and miraculously God provided the liver. Miraculously. And They said, if you want this liver, you're going to get in here now. And we just prayed that night before for God to give him a liver because it's not that easy to get. Go get on the waiting list sometime. Just don't tell the medical field all the answers we have. God can do the miraculous today we got a lot of miracles that we love to see. We call them miracles, big projects that we love to see come to pass. But I'm being honest with you this morning, transparent. Physically, I don't feel good. And I'm not trying to grumble or complain. But I want to get to the place in my life that, Lord, take my life and let it be. If you get more blessing out of my stubborn through my preaching. See, when you've been preaching as long as I have, and you've been able to deliver and articulate, and then you find your tongue all tangled up and you can't get it out, And you wonder what the next word's going to be. Lord, I don't want to do anything say anything that would be displeasing to You. And Lord, it don't come out right in my mind. And God keeps saying, don't you worry about how it comes out. You just keep on preaching. You keep on teaching, doing the very best you can. I'll take care of the matter. And I've got to submit to Him. Because if not, I'd be so depressed. I'd be so discouraged with life that I just want to quit and go home and cry. But I'm glad God is faithful to all of us wherever we go. He never leaves us for us. He go with us through the valley. And in the valley, He says when you go through the valley of BACA, B-A-C-A make a well. I read in Isaiah chapter 12 last night. He said drink from the wells of salvation, God's salvation. Drink from God's well. We need a good drink today from the wells of God. So I close with this. A Christian should be glad. Observation. Early church, I could go on and on with other scriptures in the book of Acts where well, they were glad. They rejoiced over and over again. And they come down to the last word I want to use, and that's the word obedience. In Psalms 33.1, the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord, O ye righteous, for praise is comely for the upright. This is a command from God Almighty in capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, in my Bible. It's capitalized, the great Jehovah God rejoice in the lord oh you righteous are you righteous the only way we're righteous is because we've received the righteousness of god because he was made sin for us and you know sin that we might be made the righteousness of god in him yeah. he says i want you to rejoice who the, those who are re- those who are righteous you got your sins confessed let's keep short sin accounts if you've sinned this week already and you have not confessed it why don't you come to the altar and just have a good crying spell before god and say lord i'm sorry maybe our lives have not been very pleasing to the Lord. we made made God look good. We've been poor ambassadors. We've been fussy and bickering and going around maybe saying things we ought not say about other folks. He says, Ye righteous rejoice, for praise is comely for the upright. It will help the upright. And sometimes there's healing spiritually in our bones, spiritually speaking, because we are commanded from God to rejoice. And Paul said, I say to thee, Rejoice. And again I say I rejoice. And he wrote that from prison to the church of Philippi. He said, Whatsoever state that you have learned I have learned to be content in whatever state I'm in. Well, Apostle Paul said, Whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's up, whether it's down, I'm just gonna keep trusting the Lord. And one day Paul went to the prison in Rome. The Last recorded in history, historically, not in the Bible necessarily, except he went to Rome as a missionary to preach to the kings of his day. It became time for Paul to be executed. He could have, he was worthy of release. There's nothing against him that they could find. They thought he was causing trouble and problems for the Judaism and the religion of the day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They sentenced him to die, and his testimony to young Timothy. Timothy, preach the word, be instant in the season, out of season. Reprove and rebuke with all long suffering. Just keep it up, Timothy. Young Timothy, I'm telling you some words. It's time my departure is at hand. It's time for me folding my tent and going out, striking my tent. It's time for my life. It's about over. So Timothy, I want you to get these words to get them deep and embedded in your soul. Remember what the old man said. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course. Henceforth there's a kind of righteousness right up for me. And not for me only, but for all those who love His appearing. The Apostle Paul says, I am willing to die. To live is Christ, to die is gain. I'd rather live for Jesus Christ as long as I can, but I want to go to heaven when I die. If He wants me to go now, I'll go. If He wants me to go later, I'll go. No complaints. No complaints. When persecuted, Matthew 5, 12. Rejoice. When you're suffering, 1 Peter 4:13, Rejoice. When you're giving money, rejoice. Be a cheerful giver is what the Bible said. Yeah. Philippians 4, 4, when living, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. How am I supposed to live? I'm supposed to be glad. Amen. I'm supposed to be glad. Are you glad today? Amen. Somebody said in West Virginia one time, said, if you're happy, show me your teeth. And one dear sister reached reached down, got hers and held hers up like that and said, here's my teeth. Well, you don't want to take your teeth out of your head, but every once in a while, Lord, i notify our, notify our face. God made a change in our life. I'm just di- different now since Jesus made me whole. I've enjoyed my Christianity more today in these last few months as far as my life is concerned than I ever had before in my life. And I've enjoyed the trip from the time I got saved as a nine-year-old boy and now 77. If the Lord chooses to take me out of this world, don't be like, be like the old saints of God. Don't wait for me. D.L. Moody said, I'm not really dead. When you read out in the obituary, I died and I die. Right. I just changed places. He says, I'm resting in the presence of the Lord. And we cannot lose. We will not lose. We're on the winning side. We hear it over and over again. It needs to be echoed in our hearts on the first Sunday of this month, this first Sunday of this year, that by the good grace of God, we want to live a Christian life. that others around us can see Christ.